Philippians chapter 1. We started this uh, letter uh, two uh, weeks ago. And as you are turning there, the question for all of us this morning specifically is, what should I pray for? What should I be praying for? I put together a slide here. Uh, one of the things that I thought through this week, yeah, um, you can see up on the screen this next slide of just uh, time spent praying for me, myself, and I. And then there's a box in the corner there. I don't know if you can see it well. It says time praying for others. I asked myself, is my prayer life like that? Am I quick to spend all my time praying for every single need that I have and then add in other people that I pray for? I made another slide there and I started making a list of things. And it's like, these are things that come off the top of my mind. Praying for myself, good health, financial stability, joy, peace, strength, protection, patience, forgiveness for my sins, wisdom and decisions, comfort, family. And the list was going on. And then I was like, oh, wait, what do I pray for others? And real quickly, uh, salvation for the lost. But probably the, the, the largest one that I'm quick to pray for is if I hear that someone is sick. Uh, usually it's a thing or a major tragedy in their family. But then I thought about what we read, what we're going to read here in Philippians and some of the other lists, and uh, you can put that question back up. It came to me, what should I pray for? It's a valid question. If you are a follower of Christ, what should you be praying for? For yourself as well as for the body of Christ. This morning as we look at chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 11, the Apostle Paul teaches us uh, some things to be praying for. And we see this in this scriptural truth this morning that we should pray that growth in love uh, that produces fruit, uh, good fruit which results in a harvest of righteousness for God's glory. This is what we should be praying for this morning. Look at Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. Last week we previously saw that he was thankful for remembering the church uh, in Philippi and we saw that in Acts chapter 16 and then he gave great assurance to the believers in saying, verse 6, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Look at verses 8 through 11. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, we're blessed to have the words of our Lord to read and understand and so, Father, we ask that you would do a work in us through your Spirit, that you would give us understanding. And so we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian this morning, or as Paul writes in those first couple of verses, he calls Christians saints, uh, do you long for spiritual growth? Is spiritual growth something that you desire in your life? Do you pray for that growth in your life? And do you pray for the church, other believers, that they would also grow spiritually? 
The question again this morning for us is, what should I pray for? And the first thing we see in verse 8 and 9 is that we would pray to abound in love. The first point is to pray that we would abound in love both individually as believers and for the body of Christ. Verse 8, he says, as God is my witness, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus the Apostle Paul in this letter and in other letters, you see his great love for the body of Christ. Some people may just think the Apostle Paul was a great theologian, an expert in the law, a person who was beaten and almost killed multiple times for telling people the gospel of Jesus. But when you read the letters, you see a man who genuinely loves the church, a man who loves the body of Christ, and a man who loves the lost and wants the lost to the point where he says, I beg you to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so when he says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, I think back to Acts chapter 16. He didn't spend as much time with the church in Philippi as he did with other churches like in Ephesus uh, or in churches in Corinth. And so in that short time, you see his great love for the people. Also in Philippians chapter 4, which we'll come to, he says in verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do you have that same love for those in this room, for believers around the world, or are they just people you put up with, people you say hi to on a Sunday? Do you truly love the body of Christ? Do you pray as the Apostle Paul prayed for the church these same things? You could go to the book of Ephesians and there's three prayers in there that the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. The scriptures are filled with how we should pray and I think this morning we should check our hearts and say, do I yearn for and love the believers, the body of Christ as we read in scripture? What he prays for in this uh, section here and also what he writes of in this letter is that there would be this sanctification that happens among the believers. Sanctification is a biblical word. It's not a theological word to represent. Something. It's a word in Scripture used six or seven times in the New Testament. It's a, uh, a word that helps us understand that for the believer, once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that there is spiritual growth, a process that happens all the days of your life here on earth until you're with Jesus. And so I like to say you're not there yet. Again, you're here in a position and this moment of glory with Christ for eternity and the time on earth is another step of growing more in your knowledge of Christ and in this spiritual maturity. He prays for sanctification of the church. We should be praying that we would be sanctified by the Holy Spirit working in us and we would be growing. This should be a concern and a desire of your life and something that you would pray for the body of Christ. Verse 9 we see here he specifically says and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Again, he's writing to these believers. He's in prison. He's sending this letter and saying, I'm praying that you would abound in love. I'm praying that you believers would grow in your love for God and for one another. The word love here he uses is not some touchy-feely type of sentimental love for another person. He uses this word, uh, the, the original word is, in the Greek is agape. 
Some of you have heard this term before. You could describe it in different ways with a benevolent, sacrificial type of love, specifically love seen in action. And let me ask you this. Who is the greatest example of agape love for us to look to and follow after? Okay, now most of the time when I ask you a question, the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. I heard one person say Christ. I heard a kind of, it's like, no. Our greatest example of agape love, of love with action, is Jesus Christ. And it's seen at the cross. And so we read the scriptures and we look to Jesus Christ. Uh, in the evenings, we've been going on Sunday nights in First uh, John. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we'll be finishing First uh, John, specifically chapter 5. A while back, though, we were in chapter 3, and we saw in verse 16, um, John writes to the believers. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. One of the things that we read in 1 John that we've been seeing is he's repetitive in all five chapters and says, if you want evidence and assurance that you are a Christian, then you don't only have love for God, but you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the evidence that John says uh, that proves a person is a Christian, love for God and love for for one another. And he says, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you are a liar and you are not saved. So your love for one another, the believers, must be great and must be abounding and growing. Now this is different than what we could spend time, and we'll point it out, love for the lost, love for the world. We're to love our enemies as well. Paul's specifically writing to the Christians and saying, your love for the body of Christ should well up in your heart and should be seen in how you pray for one another. And so this agape love, this actionable love, is seen in what Jesus Christ did in that not only that he came and was born and added humanity to his deity, fully man, fully God, but we look to the cross because at the cross where Jesus was nailed, he didn't just physically suffer. He suffered greatly physically. But what Jesus did, his great love is seen, is that he bears the sins for his people at the cross. And God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son that's meant for you. And Jesus did it, not only in obedience to the Father, but as we read in John chapter 10, he gave his life for the sheep. He gave his life for his friends because he loves you. This is the type of love that Paul prays would abound in the lives of the believers in Philippi and what is what you and I should be praying that abounds in the lives of this room and in all the believers across the globe. One of the great things that we see of God's love for his people is not only at the cross where Jesus Christ bore our sin and the wrath of God the Father and died, but we see the love of God the Father in the empty tomb. Because think about the fact as the Father raises the Son from death to life, then he gives all of his people eternal life. 
Because it's great to be forgiven at the cross by Jesus Christ and his blood shed. But if Christ had not risen from death to life, we'd be forgiven, but we would still die. And therefore, God the Father loves his people by giving us eternal life, adopting us as his own children, preparing a place in heaven one day that, is, that does not perish, that will not fade away, and that we long for. And then also we see the love of God in the work of the Holy Spirit. As Ephesians tells us that the person in Christ, their faith in Christ is sealed. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. And therefore, we see the love of God, the Holy Spirit, moving in us, causing us to grow in our, in, in our uh, in, uh, relationship with Jesus Christ and become spiritually mature. And so the love of God is seen in salvation and sanctification and glorification and Jesus commanded his disciples that we would look to his example and we would do the same. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus commands the disciples a commandment to you if you're a follower of Christ today. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, the world will look at the church and the, the world examines and looks to how you and I treat one another. I mean, again, the world calls Christians hypocrites and that's a, a good thing in one sense because we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, but we're still working in, in, in this process of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us and so we still battle with sin but the world looks in to see how we love and treat one another and it says if they see that I mean they will glorify God who's in heaven it's an astounding thing that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount so the example of agape love this actionable love is Jesus Christ, because in verse 11, we'll look at it in just a moment, it says it's through Jesus Christ. Do you love one another as Christ loves us? <clears throat> Do you pray? Again, look here at the text in verse, eight, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Do you pray for the love of Christ in you to abound and to grow more and more? Do you pray that for me? Do you pray that for the believers here gathered in this place? Do you pray that for the believers in Missoula? Do you pray that for the believers throughout the globe? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul writes to the church there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for as you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Listen to what he says, though. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Some of you are like, man, I love my brothers and sisters of Christ. I can't wait to spend time with them. I pray for them every single day. And he acknowledges that with the church in Thessalonica, but then he's like, but we urge you to do it more. You can't stop growing in your love for the body of Christ, for one another. 
And so that's why Paul, back here in Philippians, says, I pray that your love would continue, would abound, and would grow. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. And the way that the agape love abounds and grows, he says, with all knowledge and discernment. And so we are to love one another, in verse 9, with knowledge. This word epigenosis, this means a spiritual knowledge of God. You see, love is not blind. Agape love that we're called for here is, if you would say, biblically informed. That love is rooted in the knowledge of God. How well is your knowledge of God? Are you devoting your time to growing in the knowledge of God by reading the Word of God that the Holy Spirit would work in you and cause your love for God and for one another to abound? And the more that you grow in the knowledge of Christ by His Word, the Holy Spirit will move in you and grow you in your love for others. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Recently, there was a couple people that asked me over the past month about talking with others about the Word of God. Many, many, many people do not believe that the Bible is God's Word. Many people in this world believe that some men gathered together to write some things about God, but that it's not God's Word. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in what? Righteousness. This is what Paul's writing about in Philippians. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good what? Every good work. Not to be saved by the good work, but to do good works. This is what Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and specifically praying for in the text here. And so we are to love with this knowledge of Christ. And so the more that we grow in the knowledge of Christ and the cross and his resurrection and his return and what he does in our life, we learn and grow and abound in our love for God and one another. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells the church there in Ephesus, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in what? Love, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Think about all the different relationships with other people that you have. People that are not believers, Maybe family, close friends, and then people who are believers, people that you have some type of relationship with them. To think about this fact that we are to love them in the way that Christ loves us and his love for us rose as a fragrant offering to God. Those relationships that you have, how do you view them? How do you think about them? Specifically, how do you pray for those relationships and for those people? Something to think about this morning. Something very important. How do you pray for them? How do you pray for each one? Because he ties it in with this love 
for them that comes with the knowledge of Christ. But he also, in verse 9, says that you're to love one another in this, in, 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 with this discernment or this moral perception to know the right actions. And so if agape love is pictured in our actions towards one another, you not only need the knowledge of Christ but you also need discernment and wisdom that Christ gives so you know how to love them. Because, again, you could make a list of things. Oh, I can love this person this way, and this person wants to be loved in this way. And we may just have something that's totally out of line with how God would want us to love those people. And so godly wisdom helps us know how to love others in the best actionable way. And this discernment that comes from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit uh, giving us understanding uh, is directly related to our time in the Word of God and how we are reading it and understanding. Because you may have a whole list of ways to love other people. This person may be serving them in some specific way. You may be showing love to this person by encouraging them with words. You may be showing generosity or hospitality, and that's how you're showing love to these people. Maybe with this person here, you need to show them empathy. Maybe with these people over here, you need to be patient with them. I mean, the list is vast when you read Scripture, which tells us how to love one another. Paul says that we should be praying that we have discernment in how to love that will help us abound in love for one another. Do you need wisdom? Maybe just me. Do you need discernment? Yes. James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, which I am one of them, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You should pray for wisdom. You should pray for discernment in how to love one another, in how to pray for one another. And so that first que that question that was throughout here, what should I pray for? One is to abound in love. Secondly, look at verses 10 and 11. It's to reap a harvest of righteousness. To reap a harvest of righteousness. Do you pray that for one another? You're like, I don't even know what that means. Do you pray that for yourself? I'm not sure what it means to reap a harvest of righteousness. Verse 9 and 10, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so, as, so, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. If you look at verse 10 there, it says to approve what is excellent, to put something to the test, to examine, to scrutinize it. It can be used with metals to determine if it's really pure or not. Um, as he talks about good works and fruit, uh, one of the things I thought about uh, when we a month ago when I was talking about growing oranges in Central California growing up, that you may get a day or a two or, or a few hours of a hard freeze in, in Central California. And that's bad for the oranges. Because if you get enough hours, I mean, that tells you how warm it is in, in Central California. I mean, we're loving the warm weather this weekend. But if you get a few hours of freezing temperature and too much, then those oranges, all of the, 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 the pulp that some of you just don't like, those things that have the juice in them, they freeze and they explode inside there and they ruin the oranges. 
And so what they do at the packing houses, and then when they pick the oranges, they don't know if they're frozen or not, so they pick all the oranges, and they put them in a trough, and they float through the water, and it's this water test is one of many to see if they're good or not. And the good oranges sink to the bottom, and those that are frozen and bad inside, they float to the top and they throw them out or send them off to feed to other animals. But they're tested. It's thinking about grapes that grow. The same thing when they go to the packing houses or out in the fields when they test them. They will test not only how they taste, but they may test the firmness with this certain instrument to see how well they are. I used to coach high school sports, and I coached uh, um, volleyball and basketball. And the first year that I coached, uh, the first sport was the fall uh, girls JV volleyball team. And so the JV and the varsity team all uh, practiced together the first few days because tryouts. We only had 14 jerseys for the team, and we had close to 60 girls try out for the JV team. I was sweating. I was uh, uh, stressed out. The varsity coach is like, hey, in one hour, you need to cut this number in half. I'm like, one hour? That's not even enough time. And so I'm like making some check marks and different things. And we get to the first hour and he comes over. He goes, let me see your list. He says, how many? Well, you know what I mean? He's like, all right. He, he just grabs it because I was hesitating. He just starts calling off girls' names. Like, you guys can go home. And there's like tears and everything. And I'm like the hated coach. And I'm just like, oh, man. He's like, all right, tomorrow you got to cut the list again. We only had 14. And then for basketball, there wasn't as many, so I didn't have to cut that many. And then when we got to boys volleyball in the, in the spring, it was great because we only had 13 tryout. We had 14 jerseys, so everyone made it. But we set up actual drills and tests, as some of you know, with all sports, so you can see who can make the cut. In a sense, this is what he prays for the believers, what you should pray for yourself and all believers, so as that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We should pray that our brothers and sisters in Christ would test all things and choose things in life that are best for our relationship with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prays for discernment. Do you pray for discernment for me? Do you pray for discernment for the elders of the church? Do you pray for discernment for one another as you look around the room? You don't know what people's decisions are during this week that they have to make. Do you pray for that? Not just for yourself, but for one another. Not just that we would choose between what is right and wrong, but we would choose between what is better and what is best in regards to the word of God. And so he prays this for them, and I would ask you to think about these questions for yourself. Am I, as I read verse 9 and 10, pursuing the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do I have a hunger and a desire to know Jesus more? Because if I know him more, Paul says, I'll know how to love like Christ. Do I value knowing Christ above anything and everything in life? Am I choosing the best things to do with my life in regards to my time and my resources, my money and my relationships? Do I pray that for myself and do I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Christ? And the reason why he says you need to 
pray for this and to test all things, and he prays that the church would have discernment, is in verse 10 there, so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He prays the believers would be ready for the return of Christ. And if you were here when we did uh, a few months back and we went through the minor prophets and each of those, day, each of those uh, texts and those chapters and those books focused on the day of the Lord. And it was described as the terrible day of the Lord when Christ returns and all who do not have faith in Christ will be judged by God and they will stand before him and all who have rejected Christ will be cast into hell for eternity. That's the day of the Lord. When you read the day of Christ in the New Testament, for the believer, it's a glorious thing because for those of you who are found in Christ, there is no judgment upon you because Christ took that at the cross and you bear the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to you. So when God the Father sees you, he says, my son, my daughter, who I love, and therefore you stand before him in Christ's righteousness And what you do at that day of Christ is you give an account for how you stewarded what Christ gave you. Again, not for judgment for salvation, but giving an account to our master who has given us everything that we have. And so he prays that the church would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Are you praying that we would be pure and blameless at the day of Christ's return? Pure, he prays for purity. It means to be sincere with no hidden intentions. Taking something that you want to examine and you hold it to the spotlight to see if it's pure is the description of this, what this word means and specifically pointing towards your inward character, your heart. Is your heart pure before the Lord God Almighty? Is your pure heart, is your heart pure before Christ at the day that you stand before him and at his return? Again, every single day this week, you will make some type of choice. Some of you will have some hard decisions that you have to make. Some of them are going to be so difficult. You're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should do this or if I should do that. It was like uh, yesterday, one of my children, we were out on a date and we were at the store and, 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 and my uh, child was trying to decide do I spend my money on this or do I not spend my money on that? And we went back and forth for a while and we were talking about this and I was like, you know what, if you're not sure, why don't you just save your money? But it was like, the five bucks is burning a hole in your pocket. You gotta spend that. He's like, I wanna get something. But it's like, how many of us will have decisions this week and you're like, oh, I really wanna do that, but should I or not? And it may just be that the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart to pay attention, to actually pray about, should I do this or not? And so we should pray, as he says, for this purity uh, that we would know, again, not just the difference between good and bad, not just between what is good and better, but what is better and best. I mean, imagine you go to your favorite store to go purchase something and you go in and you find out that everything that's the most expensive, valuable stuff in the store has been marked down to the lowest prices and all the stuff that you think is worthless has been marked up as the highest prices. This is what the, church, the world is trying to sell you. The world is trying to convince you that the worthless things of this world that will burn away is where you should invest your time, your energy, your money, your life. 
and all the great glorious things of God, the world says, are not worth anything. Those are lies that the world presents to you. So you need to pray and pray for me and pray for one another that we would have this purity of heart, that we would be able to test these things and know this is what the Lord would have me invest in. This is where the Lord would have me spend my time. This is what the Lord would have me do in this relationship. And so he prays that we'd be pure and, verse 10, they're blameless at the return of Christ. The word blameless means innocent, um, that no one can blame you for something. Specifically, though, used that you, as a believer, would not cause another believer to stumble over your actions or sin in your life. We'll see this in the church of Philippi as we get to chapter 4. You can see this in the letters to the churches in the New Testament. He encourages the church, and then he always gives correction. The churches, you can't find a perfect church in the New Testament. There's no perfect church here. Some of the churches, like when he writes to the church in Corinth, are behaving like the rest of the world and living in that way and causing others in the church to stumble. And so he prays that we would not cause one another to stumble because of our life. Are you praying that for one another? Philippians chapter 2, look at chapter 2. In verse 14 and 15, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, when we get to chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, help out these two women in the church. They are partners in the gospel. They have been very uh, 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 effective in serving and sharing the gospel. But they've got a problem. They're disagreeing. They're fighting. Help them. Do you pray for one another when you hear of brothers and sisters in Christ who are in disagreement and fighting and arguing and backbiting and grumbling and complaining and gossiping? It's like, wait, that happens in the church? Yes, it does. Because we battle with sin. And praise God for his grace and forgiveness at the cross. And praise God that he is going to complete the work that he started in us. And as he's working in us and sanctifying us, we still battle with sin. Therefore, pray for one another. Pray for one another that we would be pure and blameless. And in verse 10, it says, for the day of Christ, at the day of Christ's return. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 in part of verse 12, it says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of godly, holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? Sunday, it's April 30th, at 10.58 right now. Are you praying? Are you praying for these things? Christ is returning soon. He's coming back quickly. You might think, oh, it's been a long life. He's not here yet. He says he's coming back quickly. Are you ready, church? As Paul says, to pray that we would stand before Christ, blameless and pure in the righteousness of Christ, stewards of what God has given us, those who love one another with the love of Christ. You must pray for this if you're a believer. 
This should be upon your heart every day, not only asking God to do in you, but to pray for one another that love would abound in the church, that we would stand before Christ on the day of his return, pure and blameless. And then verse 11, it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through who? Jesus Christ. And that is something to say amen about because the fruit comes from Christ. It doesn't come from us. You're like, well, wait, no, but I do this good works, Ephesians 2.10. We could spend all day on this. The New Testament teaches us that any good works that happen, happen because of the Holy Spirit working in us. John chapter 15, where we were over a month ago. Go in your homework. Someone said last week I didn't give homework. I was like, really? I usually give homework every week. Your homework this week is to go read John chapter 15 again. Because Christ speaks about abiding in him and him in you. Jesus Christ is the word of God. So we abide in Christ in his word and in prayer. And it says that we will produce fruit. You cannot and will not produce fruit apart from Jesus Christ. Therefore, abide in him. And the fruit of righteousness, good works will be done in Christ Jesus And we'll see this more as we read through Philippians in the weeks to come. Your other homework is every, every day this week, read Philippians. Takes you 15 minutes or take 15 minutes every day and read part of Philippians. It's only four chapters. Read it over and over and over and ask the Holy Spirit to work in you these wonderful truths that we would live and abide by them. And so as we look at this here, though, Paul is praying here in chapter 1 for a greater knowledge of agape love, of actionable, actionable love that we see in Christ that would enable us to have a better evaluation of all of life and test those things that would result in good fruit, a harvest of righteousness, all for the glory of God. Verse 11, it's not just the end of his prayer. It's something that you and I should be praying for. What should I pray for? The third thing is to glorify God. Do you pray that we would glorify God? Do you pray that in everything you do today that you would glorify God? This week on Thursday morning, the men's study we have here at 7 a.m., we were in the book of Psalms and we were looking at these things about giving glory to God and exalting God. You need to know that God has all the glory and he didn't even need to say, let there be light. He did not need to create this earth. He did not even need to give you life and breath or the fact that you can breathe right now because God has all the glory. At the same time, he has created this universe. He's created you and he's demanded that you worship him and give him glory in everything. Do you glorify God in all that you say and do? In all that you think and imagine? Do you glorify God? Verse 11, he says, to the glory and praise of God. This isn't, again, something that you say at the end of a prayer. Do you glorify God? And if you read those verses before, and verses 1 through 10, you'll see he lays out how we do glorify God. But Paul prays that the saints will grow spiritually and that the result is fruit that brings glory to God. When the disciples asked Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, we have what we title as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, how does Jesus begin the prayer? 
He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, then he says what? Hallowed be thy name. When we pray, do we direct all the glory to God before we ever even ask anything? I'll be honest. I'll get a phone call. I'll get a text. Someone's in the hospital. Someone's sick. Someone just passed away. And the first thing is like, oh, Lord, be with them. And and, pray whatever it is, I'm praying for them. And that's not bad. But do I even in that instant think about God and his glory who can grant answers to these prayers? Do I think about how he is in control of everything that I'm approaching a holy God? And sometimes, I'll be honest, my prayers are just demanding of God. I may not be yelling at God, but instantly I'm like, God, do this right now. Lord, help those people. And I just make a demand when I should go humbly to him. A glorious God who would listen to the prayers of his people and would answer and work. If we want to know how to glorify God, Jesus summed it up for his disciples. Again, as you read John 15, you'll see it this week. In John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my what? Disciples. You want to glorify God? Pray for fruit. You want to glorify God? You want your brothers and sisters in Christ to glorify God? Pray for fruitfulness in their life that comes from abiding in Christ that causes us to be pure and blameless the day that we see Jesus. I love this question from the Westminster Catechism. You might want to memorize this. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's a wonderful statement. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I mean, you couldn't take anything else to sum it up like that. Is your life set on glorifying God? We'll read one more text. We'll end with this. Would you agree with me that we live in a dark world? You say yes because many of you know the darkness that you lived in before the light of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, shined into your life and you believed. You know the darkness. Some of you are here and you're still in darkness. And today you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the light of Christ, the love of God shining into your life and God calling you to him to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that forgiveness is found in Christ alone. But we live in a dark world. And Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 said this, in verse 14 you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven we should pray for that that all the decisions and everything we think and say and do this week, that God will receive all the glory, that he would cause us to abound in love for one another, 
that we would grow in the knowledge and discernment of Christ, that we'd be able to test these things in the world so that when Christ returns, we will stand before him pure and blameless, producing that fruit all for the glory of God. Can you pray for that? Would you pray that for me? You know, this last week, one of your sisters in Christ passed away. This last week, one of your sisters in Christ, she died, and she went to go be in glory with Jesus. You've never met her. Mrs. Carmen Castro, the last church we were at, Montebello Christian Fellowship, we had a Christian school on our campus. She was not only a member of our church, but she taught there for, I don't know, 40 years or something like that. And almost every single day on her break, I could count that she would stick her head in my door and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. And she'd go on. Someday she'd go, Pastor, I have class after this break. What do you want the students to pray for you? It's like, wow. Every day. And I never thought that it was like, oh, I'm just saying it because I'm walking by the pastor's office because I'm employed by the Christian school. She really meant it. I was thinking of Pastor Bud Goings pastor of the church that I grew up in, Pastor Bud faithfully preached the Word of God week in and week out in studies, and he visited the, 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 the members of the church and prayed for them. And here in his uh, later years of life, whenever I talk to him on the phone, he says, Peggy and I, his wife, we pray for you daily. Wow. Another couple in East Los Angeles, Fred and Cindy. Every time I talk to Fred, Fred's like, Paul, Cindy and I pray for you every day. They actually said they pray for you every day. People that you haven't met before, are there believers in this world that have never met you that you pray for? These scriptural truths. We must do it. It should be a passion of our heart. It should be something that we ask the Holy Spirit to move in us so that we, the body of Christ, would grow in Christ and be strengthened. As the worship team comes forward, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, come before you in prayer and I pray that according to the riches of your glory that you may grant to my brothers and sisters in Christ to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being that Jesus, so that Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, that is what I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, what I ask for myself and that you would put upon our hearts to continue in prayer for one another. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen.